Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Oi, oi, I'm Jim Salverson and this is Football Social Daily. The Cockney swagger is out on today's podcast as West Ham win their first game in European competition since 1999. And the only English team to win their Europa League tie last night too. The Hammers tasted victory in Zagreb, whilst both Leicester and Tottenham had to make do with disappointing draws in their European ties. We'll talk about that soon on Football Social Daily as we look back at last night's European action, as well as looking forward to tonight's game between Leeds and Newcastle United in the Premier League. For that, I have Ian Brennan on the podcast today, waving his white rose flag. How are you doing, Ian? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Good, thank you. It's um, always good to have a match on a Friday night, as long as you win, because at least then you can just look forward to the rest of the weekend and chill out and relax and you know, 24 hours to get ready for match of the day. Very true. That's I, what we hope. I wasn't a big fan of Friday night football when it first started, but it's it's warmed on me over the last year or so. Nar McCorn on the podcast as well today. He's going to be doing his best Marley Anderson impression, hammering Steve Bruce for the first 10 minutes of today's podcast. You're right, Noel. <laughs> I'm Kushti Geezer. How are you doing? <laughs> Very good. Right, we're going to start with Newcastle versus Leeds before we look back at the Europa League action. This is the Friday night game. If you want a preview of all the weekend's games, you can check that out on The Dugout, which will be out later on tonight. It's our brand new show where we take professional, former professional footballers and get their view on the weekend's action. Who's on tonight's show, Noel? We've got Paul Dickov, a bit of a legend around Manchester City for his part in that famous promotion from the third tier back in 1999. And he also played for Leicester City and so did our other guest, who is Sean St. Ledger. So really looking forward to hearing from those two guys ahead of the weekend. Cool, get some insight, particularly on the City and uh, Leicester games then. But Newcastle versus Leeds is the match tonight. And this is the teams that should be doing better than they actually are Derby, I think we can call this one. <laughs> I mean, it's been a really disappointing start, I think. Newcastle, we kind of expected it, Ian. But in terms of Leeds, I think 
their start to this season has been a bit disappointing, hasn't it? No, not really, because they played no. three. <laughs> of, they, they played three of the top four as it stands so far. They, 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 they had Man United on the first day. They played then played Everton and, and got a draw. Um, they played Burnley and got a draw, and then they played Liverpool. And I think out of that start to the season, uh, you know, really, I, does any team expect to get much out of Man United and uh, and, and, and Liverpool? Everton, obviously, a bit of a toss-up, but they're a decent side, and I say they're currently in the top four of the Premier League, all all on the same amount of points as each other there. So I think you've just got to say, look, it's early doors. Um, I think probably Leeds may be thankful that they played Man United when they did, even though they got absolutely spanked. Um, probably could have been worse with Cristiano Ronaldo and all that involved. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think now is the part of the season so far for Leeds where they've got some games that they, they should be competing in and, and, and winning because this next month, um, I think the toughest fixture is, um, is West Ham, which is a tough fixture. Um, but beyond that, the, the other games really are, are ones that should be, um, you know, um, winnable for Leeds, you know, talking teams like Watford, Crystal Palace and, and that kind of thing. And of course, Newcastle tonight. So this is where now I think this next um, four or six weeks or so is, is a run that Leeds could potentially get on and, and get a little bit of momentum going because I think the start was was a, a tricky one. Ian doesn't seem too downhearted by Leeds' start, Niall. But I think for me, I look at those games and you're right, three of the top four, I guess, in terms of the points on the table, it's potentially not that surprising. But what would be a red flag for me would be the goals conceded. Two against Everton, one against Burnley, three against Liverpool, five against Manchester United. And we know Leeds play the way Leeds play. But do they actually need to potentially tighten up a little bit defensively? Particularly if like Bamford doesn't seem to be quite in the form that he was last season, so they're maybe not getting as many goals the other end. Yeah, I suppose you could look at it. There's that old saying, isn't there, in life that def- that you know, attack is the best form of defence. And I certainly think that Marcelo Bielsa has that element to his managerial style. You know, effectively, the game of football is to outscore your opposition, and that's how you win games. And I don't think Marcelo Bielsa is too fussed whether they win five, four, seven, six, ten, nine. I think as long as they get the win, I don't think he's he's too fussed. However, I think there probably will be a few concerns defensively, as you say. That goals conceded column isn't looking too rosy for Leeds at the moment. They've conceded eleven goals this season. Only their opponents tonight, Newcastle United, have conceded more goals with twelve. 11 shipped is the same as Norwich, who are currently bottom of the Premier League table. So even though it's only early stages and early doors, I do think that that will be a slight concern. I think the positive for Leeds is up the other end. They do have the propensity to score. They've got players like Patrick Bamford, who will start finding the net again on a regular basis. I think he showed last season that he does have the capability to be a decent Premier League striker. And of course, that's reflected in the fact he made his England debut during the recent international break. So I think he'll find his feet and start firing again before too long so I think they'll be all right in terms of goal difference on the whole come the end of the season but certainly that's one thing you don't want to get a habit of is being leaky at the back and I think the concerns are also at the back just due to the injuries that Leeds have got obviously Pascal Strike can't play tonight because of that red card he received for the tackle on Harvey Elliott which we've discussed on the podcast a couple of times this week and uh, that will be a miss for Leeds because I'm sure as Ian will tell you they're struggling at the back in terms of Uh, defensive reinforcements 
Stryker's banned. Diego Urense and Robin Cock are both out. They've got muscle injuries. They're not going to play tonight against Newcastle if the reports that I'm reading are anything to go by. So I definitely think that there is some tightening that needs to be done at the back by Marcelo Bielsa. The only problem is, where does it come from? I mean, do you take Calvin Phillips out of midfield and put him in centre-half? I mean, is that going to work? I don't think it will. I think Phillips is so crucial in the middle of the park. And, you know, we saw this with Liverpool last season. And in no way am I comparing Leeds and Liverpool because they are on different levels at the moment. But certainly when Liverpool had those defensive injuries with Van Dijk and Matip and Gomez all out, and they were having to put players like Fabinho and Jordan Henderson at centre-back, it almost ruined the way that the, te- the team ticked and the team flowed and Jurgen Klopp couldn't get Liverpool playing on the front foot in the way that he usually did. So I'm just wondering whether if Marcelo Bielsa would make any tweaks of that ilk, I'm not sure he would sacrifice any, prop- uh, any possibility of being successful going forward and on the attack just to kind of patch up a defence which is looking like it's got a few holes in it at the moment just due to injury. So, you know, the window's closed now. Where do those extra reinforcements come from in the time being that those defenders are out injured? Who knows? Some selection problems for Bielsa potentially. Streak's red card against Liverpool at the Nile mentioned, Ian, will be a miss for Leeds. The club actually appealed that um, and it was rejected the appeal. So he still has the three match ban. We all saw the tackle that injured Harvey Elliott and it was a horrific injury. Do you think there was ever a chance that that was going to get over a turned or were Leeds chancing their arm a little bit I'm surprised we didn't see like like when you play champ manager mm. or football manager and you appeal a red card if you get it wrong <laughs> sometimes they extend the ban I don't, I have no idea whether that's a real rule or not or just something <laughs> it made used up. to be I'm not yeah. sure it is anymore Jim but that definitely used to be just almost for the cheek of appealing a red yeah. card they like add an extra game on but it did feel like a, a slightly fr- fr- frivolous appeal I guess well the the appeal I'm just there's a report about it in the uh, the Yorkshire Evening Post this morning because Marcelo Bielsa was speaking about it in the press conference yesterday. And um, first of all, this was um, the appeal was ruled on by the following stars of international football. Uh, Stuart Ripley of Blackburn Rovers fame, uh, Marvin Robinson, currently manager of Hednesford Town, and ex-Portsmouth goalkeeper Alan Knight. Um, held oh, Knight, he's a legend. <laughs> held, the, held the keys to Pascal Strauch's uh, uh, f- um, fortunes here, and it was. Do you want a- me to text him and ask him why they didn't give it? Yeah, because they, because <laughs> that's that's something that they haven't put in their report. And Marcelo Bielsa said this that, that there was no explanation about how they came to the decision. They had a vote. It was two to one. So I don't know who the one is. Maybe it is. If it is uh, Alan, then um, then uh, big up to him. Um, but uh, so somebody stood up for, for, the, for the appeal. So it was a vote of two to one. Um, but there was no actual um, report from the referee of, of how he came to his decision. He has not explained his thinking at all. Um, and, and the bit that Leeds appealed on was the point on... Um, Jurgen Klopp going on the field immediately after the incident because what happened was uh, it was play on uh, the 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 uh, tackle happened there was no foul no yellow card at that moment in time um, the, the play carried on and it was only mm. after Jurgen Klopp went screaming in the face of the referee on the uh, in the match it was Craig Pawson wasn't it. Um, that's when the card came out, when he ushered Jurgen Klopp off the field, sort of talking to Jurgen Klopp, and then he turned around and gave the red card. But there was no talk of cards up until that point, and that was Leeds's, um appeal, really, was how what was his thinking to come to the red card? 
And and in that report that was submitted to the appeal, there was no justification, no explanation of the referee's thinking other than that he thought it was an over-exuberant challenge. There, there was no mm. uh, no explanation of what was... They asked... Leeds wants to know what was, what was Jurgen Klopp saying because the referee was having a conversation with Jurgen Klopp for quite some time on the, on the field no explanation of what happened there so that that was what the appeal was about the appeal was about the thought process and how that was applied versus the rules to give the red card and and not on whatever happened and how you know because this was a, a tackle that we, we said the other day will happen again in football and the player yeah. will get up and walk away and, and and nothing will be done about it you know play won't even stop um so it was it was that that Jurgen Klopp Conversation the influence that seemed that, that, yeah, that seemed to, okay. to yeah that seemed to then change the mind of the referee because until until Jurgen was screaming at him in the face he, he was quite happy. I tell you what, I'm not having any Alan Knight slander on this podcast. Hey, look, Alan we might could... be the one that stood up for them, in which case he's going to have he's going to be welcomed with open arms back in Leeds. You know, he could get himself a free <laughs> night out. <laughs> well, in the '80s, Alan Knight played for a Pompey team which was known as the Gremlins. Uh, which set the record for the amount of red cards and Mickey Quinn was even thrown in jail at one point. So <laughs> I just wonder <laughs> what his go. decision was. <laughs> mm. Right, get, get the text off, Niall. We'll see if we can get a response by the end of the podcast but, see if yeah, we can get but, a reply from Alan that, about his yeah, decision-making. That is the whole thing, though, that, that there is no... that Leeds have got to live with this now. Obviously, it's, it's a straight red, so what's that, three matches? And so mm-hmm. that's... Well, we've talked about the defensive situations that Leeds have got. They're not exactly blessed with first-choice um, defenders at this moment in time. But just the fact that there's no justification forthcoming, no explanation from the referee at all, is, you know, it's just a little bit... If if, if And I think we see this with referees in general, that they make decisions and, and we never hear them speak until they're kind of retired and start appearing on BT Sport. You know, mm, it's, it's... one of the frustrations, it, isn't it? What, yeah, if he came out and said look at the time this is the reason um according to this rule i have to apply this rule this law and send him off blah 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 but that isn't the case and there's no you know there's no feedback and and the other thing as well i think uh, in this news report today was the fact that since marcelo bielsa has been at the club he's had no real contact with the referees organizations um and he just feels that there's there's just no justification, you know. They're not accountable. They just do what they want. And and Marcelo Bielsa has been there for quite some time now, and he's he's never had any dialogue with the referees about anything. Um, they make the decisions, they go away, don't have to justify them, and that's surely not right. Because if it was a manager, you know, managers have to justify their decisions after every match, don't they? Yeah, so. but I mean, we you can you can say that we should speak to referees after games, but when the referees have a good game, no one will be interested. So it's only going to be negative yeah, for the referees. They'll be thrown under the bus yeah. every time. And, you know, as frustrating as it is that they make mistakes, it is the classic, they are just human beings. And no referee deliberately wants to make an error because they're being, they're being assessed as well. They've got assessors in the stand taking notes on every decision they make during the game. And, you know, they do have promotion and relegation in the refereeing ranks. You can be demoted. And we've seen referees be demoted for bad decisions in the past. So it is a job and a profession for them. So I do think this whole, oh, they should come out and talk after games and explain decisions. I think that's choppy waters. I think the PGMOL as a governing body for referees is it should be able to issue an apology and actually I've heard managers talk about this particularly in the lower leagues saying that they've had x emails from the FA this season that on reflection looking at the footage a referee's made the wrong decision 
Um, but, you know, once the moment's gone, what, what can you do about it? This is different because obviously it's a red card and retrospectively you can look at it and it's been viewed by a panel and they've decided two to one that the red card should stay. But certainly I just think that referees coming out and talking on camera after the game is just such a minefield and there's just no way that the PGMOL or the Premier League will ever let that happen. I just can't see it. To bring it back to tonight's game, which is what we're talking about after all um (laughs) we've talked about Leeds and their defensive worries you mentioned Newcastle and their defensive worries Niall they've conceded a minimum of two goals in every single Premier League match they've played so far this season their only clean sheet was in the cup against Burnley which was a nil-nil they have problems Newcastle not only defensively but also up front no Callum Wilson still for Newcastle so it's it's difficult to see where the goals are really going to come from this it could be a one of those another very long season for Newcastle this one yeah I think Newcastle tonight at St James's Park with the way things are going if they lose to Leeds that place is going to be horrible the place is going to be absolutely vile Steve Bruce is going to get no end of dogs abuse from the supporters because despite the fact he is trying his best and I don't think Steve Bruce should ever be criticised for, for not wanting to do well. It's the same thing as what I said just now about referees. You know, Everyone wants to do well in their job. I, I, you know, Except Jose Mourinho by the end at Manchester United who I think was legitimately trying to get himself sacked. I think every manager <laughs> obviously uh, it, it tries to do as well as they can and of course they would. Why wouldn't they? And I just think the thing is with Steve Bruce is you know you can always look above his head Mike Ashley is always going to be lingering there, hovering there above his head. And whilst Mike Ashley is at Newcastle United, there's going to be a problem with that football club. And I just think that that's the obvious thing to say. However, that doesn't give Steve Bruce a free pass. I do think he should be doing better. I don't think there's any question about that. And the Newcastle fans know it. They know with the squad that they got, they shouldn't really be down in the relegation zone or at least down the bottom. But that's where they find themselves. And I think that there's this kind of feeling around the club or this kind of stigma attached to Newcastle that they are now a bottom half Premier League club. And that's so disappointing, not just for the fans, but also as a neutral, having watched the Premier League over a number of years. I mean, it was unfathomable to think that Newcastle could have even got relegated to the championship when I first started watching football. They've been down there twice in recent seasons. Aston Villa, another team. They went down to the championship. Leeds, you could even look at Leeds. I mean, that was obviously 16, 17 years ago now. But the fact they got relegated, that shouldn't be happening to these big clubs. But that is why we love football. Obviously, it throws up the unknown and that's what makes it so exciting. But St. James's Park tonight with a full house in, a few beers on a Friday night. If Newcastle don't get a result here against the struggling Leeds side, then I think there is going to be some serious, serious volume from those supporters letting Steve Bruce know exactly what they think of the way things are going right now this season. And I don't think it's any dislike towards Steve Bruce as a person. I just think that that's the frustrations that we'll see from the stands if Newcastle don't get the win. As you say, no Callum Wilson, 12 goals conceded this season, the most of any side in the Premier League. It is not looking good for Newcastle right now. They were on the receiving end of Cristiano Ronaldo's return to Manchester United last time out. They lost 4-1. But their goal that they did score was a good goal on the counter-attack. Almiron, brilliant ball across, brilliant play from him anyway. And um, it was well finished by Manquillo in the end. But can they produce more of that against Leeds? 
I'm not sure. And without a number nine in a focal point in Callum Wilson, that makes the challenge even tougher to try and get a result. So I'm really keen to see what happens tonight in this game because I think if things don't go Newcastle's way, we could see a vociferous St. James's, that's for sure. I think I think we will see a, a vociferous St. James's anyway because locally on social media, there does seem to be a, a Bruce out campaign being orchestrated for the match tonight um and i, I don't know how much momentum that's going to get but it certainly seems to be quite a popular uh, few posts knocking around on facebook and and whatever from from various newcastle fans organizations well won't make, won't make a single bit of difference though will it no it I mean, won't because it'll get drowned out anyway because there's gonna be so many people there and the phrase falling on deaf ears is kind of like a level below falling on mike ashley's ears which is he just seems it's completely just a, yeah. not oblivious because he obviously knows and hears the criticism, but it's almost like he doesn't care. There, there is no interest. And part of me goes, well, that's his right as owner of Newcastle United. That is his right to make those decisions. And if he doesn't want to reach for better, doesn't want to see the club at the top end of the table, just wants to see them maintaining their Premier League status, that's absolutely fine. But the other part of me is thinking... An owner of a football club is a custodian of a football club and they have a responsibility to want to develop and want to achieve the best for the fan base. So I I do feel for Newcastle United fans. I think it's just an unwanted sideshow, though. They know they can't do anything about it, but I suppose they want to vent that frustration. But it, it, it just is detracting from what should be a really positive experience tonight you know it should be it's going to be a big match it's it's a friday night they're on the tv it's a you know great stadium it's going to be packed and um you know it should be a really good close match think of some of the matches that newcastle and leeds have played in in the past some absolute classics uh and and you know it, it has the hallmark of, of potentially that in theory the, the two clubs it both um you know one club cities hugely supported and, um, you know, it should be a massive match. You shouldn't have this sideshow of, um, you know, there's going to be booze and kick-off after, after the match if, if, if um, Newcastle get thrashed uh, or whatever. But that's, that's where they're at at the minute. And it, it's sad to see that. And it's, it's sad and frustrating because you've got the Newcastle fans as well who have seen this takeover blocked, um, which would have made them one of the richest clubs, if not the richest club in in the country. Um, we can that's an entirely separate subject. But so for them, they, they've got this constant, um, what you call it, like a, a soap opera of of, of of Mike Ashley saying he's going to sell it and then never selling it. It's just the same thing week after week, year after year, and uh, it is. It must be frustrating. It must be frustrating. But especially when you see you know people like Alan Shearer kind of despairing. Now you know I mean, he's he's kind of flied the flag, flown the flag as much as he can, I think, and in, in on match of the day at the weekend, you know, he was he's he even was more done. miserable than usual. I mean, he's, he's a pretty dour man anyway, <laughs> yeah. but at the moment he's got a right face on him yeah. watching match of the day. Game kicks off eight o'clock tonight. <laughs> is Newcastle versus Leeds United in Friday night Premier League action. Right, we're going to look back at last night's Europa League action next. West Ham, Tottenham, and Leicester City all in action. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Europa League action last night for three Premier League teams. Spurs, the Foxes and West Ham all tasting European 
nights under the floodlights and we're going to start off with Tottenham versus Wren or Wren versus Tottenham I should say it was a 2-2 draw fairly changed team for Spurs last night Niall do you think that was necessary squad rotation which we do see with these Thursday night games ahead of the weekend we do see a few changes or do you think it was after that loss to Palace at the weekend that 3-0 shock do you think it was Nuno Espirito Santo firing a shot across the bowels a bit of a warning to his underperforming players I think that's exactly it. I think they could have made 11 changes and they couldn't have been worse than they were against Crystal Palace at the weekend. They really were poor. All credit to Palace. I think it's important that we say that. When a smaller club beats a bigger club, like Palace beating Tottenham at the weekend, everyone always says, oh, the bigger club were terrible. And they were. But also you have Mm. to give due credit to Palace because it was 3-0. It was convincing. And they absolutely outplayed Tottenham in every department. They totally deserved it. And I think Nuno Espirito Santo has shown that, you know, it, you cannot perform like that and expect to keep your place in the team. I think that that is it's a clear indication of that with the team that he chose. However, it wasn't a weak team, I didn't think. Um, obviously, the goalkeeper was uh, was different. No Hugo Lloris, uh, Galini in goal instead. But if you look at the, the forward line, Harry Kane up front, Bergvine, Brian Hill and Lucas Moura. That's a decent forward line, and that's a forward line you'd expect to be able to see off Wren. So actually, the changes they made, there were a few of them, but they, there were it wasn't a complete youth team or a team full of reserves. Do you know what I mean? So I do think that, that there can be disappointment that Tottenham didn't get the job done. Obviously, the focus for Spurs is silverware. It has to be. It's the same for every manager who comes in, whether it's Mourinho I mean, Guardiola could go in there tomorrow and the aim would be to win Tottenham a trophy. It's the same for Nuno Espirito Santo. I think it's been tough for him because it's been well documented that he wasn't the first, second, third, maybe even fourth choice for Daniel Levy sixth to be Tottenham manager. Sixth, supposedly, wasn't he? Well, he could well have been sixth, but the way the whole thing was thrashed out in public with the Harry Kane thing hovering around in the background as well, nobody knew what was going on. They sacked Mourinho and they put Ryan Mason in charge for two months. They, they didn't know what they were doing. They just wanted Mourinho out and Mourinho was sacked and they lost that cup final against Manchester City. They worked hard to get there. Mourinho managed to steer them to a Carabao Cup final and that would have been their first silverware for a number of years. They weren't able to do it and it just feels now that they have to win something. But it's almost they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Because if they win this UEFA Europa Conference League, the inaugural one, people will just say, oh, it's Tim Pot. It's the third tier of European club football. It's not as good as the Europa League. It's not as good as the Champions League. And I just think that they'll kind of have that dismissed, despite the fact that they've won, if that ever comes to fruition. So I think it's difficult. I think unless Tottenham win a Premier League or a Champions League or even the Europa League, really, I just still think those questions are going to be there about Tottenham being a big, successful club that scoops up silverware. I think the Carabao Cup, if they had won that, people still would have gone, oh, well, it's only the Carabao. No one really cares about that. And the FA Cup, sadly for me, which I think is a brilliant old competition, it's the oldest knockout cup competition in the world. And I still think the FA Cup's slightly going down that route as well, which is really sad to see. But in terms of the team that they put out last night, I think they should have done enough to be able to beat Wren, Tottenham themselves have a tough game against Chelsea at the weekend. Maybe that is with one eye on that, Jim. They've got Chelsea at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at half four on Sunday. And that's a huge game, obviously. A London derby between two sides that aren't too fond of each other. Chelsea have started the Premier League season brilliantly. 
Tottenham started the season well, didn't they? Winning their first three games before it all came crashing down to earth last time around against Palace. So he wants a reaction after the Palace game. They didn't lose. Not sure he got the reaction he was looking for. Obviously would have wanted the win. But maybe those rotations are not just because of the bad performance against Palace, but also with one eye to Chelsea at the weekend because Chelsea are tipped by yourself and many other people as contenders for the title this season. Niall hinted there, Ian, that the opposition, Rennes, aren't the strongest. It is the third tier of European competition, as he mentioned as well. Ultimately, whatever team Nuno put out against Rennes, they should have been able to win this game. And what I was really surprised about was how much space they were given in the final third. Rennes were, time and time again, able to get shots away. They weren't being closed down. And what I remember about... Santos Wolves team team is that they were really well drilled defensively it's I'm are you surprised that we've not seen that with Spurs this this Spurs team don't seem to be performing well as a defensive unit at the moment yeah I mean we haven't really seen the hallmarks of of Nuno yet and I I can't help but think that some of the sideshows from the um, transfer window and over the summer have, have not really helped him get the team together of course with so many internationals uh, in the team that have been away, some of which, like Harry Kane, for example, um, had, a, a, shall we say, an extended holiday and didn't arrive back until sort of a couple of weeks before the season started. Perhaps they are a little bit behind with, with everything, but um, I don't know. It's a different type of player, isn't it, as well? Because when you were at Wolves, um, whilst they had access to some very good players, they were kind of younger, keener. Have we got some sort of more experienced heads in in the team who are maybe happy just to stick with what they know. And, uh, and it's taken them a little, little bit of time to, to get to grips with, with Nuno's methods. Um, it just doesn't seem like they've had enough time yet to, to really get to, to grips with what, what it is that he usually does and, and, and to get that message across. Because, Do you think it's say, a contradiction, though, Ian, that he's mm. even there? Because obviously, like we said before, he's like fifth, sixth choice for the job. Yeah, I, but Tottenham, this kind of idea that they want to be playing fast, fluid football like the football Pochettino played. Well, and gave, then they, they gave that up when they They got gave Mourinho that up when there. they sacked him, yeah, I know. And then they brought Mourinho in and everyone was like, well, we can sacrifice the start of football because Mourinho's a winner. He's going to win us stuff. He got them to a final and they didn't give him a chance to compete in the final. Obviously, things were going belly up in the league and, and whatnot. Yeah. But he got them to a final and a, a, a chance, a stab at winning silverware. But with Nuno Espirito Santo, no disrespect to him, I bet he couldn't believe that he was asked to do the Tottenham job as well because... If they want fast-flowing football, Nuno Espirito Santo doesn't give you fast-flowing football. That's just not his blueprint. Yeah, it, I I just wonder how Santo feels knowing that he wasn't first choice for the job, and how the other players, uh, you know, that he's taken over feel knowing that he wasn't first to- choice for the job, and and the fact that maybe he feels sort of lucky to be there in in some respects. I'm sure he's enjoying it, and there's great perks. But there's that kind of it's it's just an atmosphere, isn't it? Maybe that that sort of surrounds everything from there on, knowing that he wasn't first choice. Maybe that if Tottenham had have been a little bit um, more kind of enthusiastic and it hadn't got out the fact that he wasn't first choice, that might have might have helped him a little bit with his authority. Um, well, I, don't know. I think it becomes very difficult for him to make an imprint on that team. Yeah. When they know he isn't the chosen one, that's what one. I mean. It's, it's like it's it's like having it's like the supply teacher being in, yeah. isn't it? And the kids just mess around because they know they're not going to be there that long. And I guess probably with if Nuno you know, Espirito Santo, as you say, Niall, he doesn't play the type of football that we imagine Spurs want. That Spurs fans certainly want. He's not Daniel Levy's preference. How long is he going to be there for? 
surely that ramps up the pressure from day one and it makes it much more difficult to get the players to do what you want them to do if they haven't got faith in your style or your methods. I think as well, this is this is where um, it, you know the the whole contracts and stuff with with football are wrong. That you can be a player and, and get signed for five years or more sometimes, and and you're unaccountable and do what you want. You know, and even if you get dropped, you're still costing the you know the 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 club money. What other job would you get signed to to sort of do what you want for a while? While if 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 the company goes wrong, that it's the manager that gets fired and everybody else who's who's the 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 fault of that stays there. It's just crackers is how football works. You know, the the, the fact that he should be able to offload players who are not on board, whoever they are. You know, he should have that sort of power, but because he's got so many big hitters there that are signed up, they can do what they want. And, it, and it, it, I don't understand why it's always the manager that has to go, you know? And you know what? We're talking about Mike Ashley earlier on in the show when we're discussing Newcastle against Leeds, but I'm not going to put Daniel Levy and Mike Ashley in the same camp because one is clearly worse than the other, for want of a better term. But Daniel Levy runs that club. I mean, you must feel like, as a manager, that you're not the one really making all of the decisions and that is dangerous because a manager who feels undermined is not going to be able to do his best work which is probably why they had to go to sixth choice it's why choices one two three four five rejected them because they don't want to be micromanaged by a chairman they want that autonomy to be able to run a club as they want to run a club yeah absolutely and i think a lot of the decisions to do with contracts and players are made by daniel levy and i just think that that's a dangerous situation to be in I just wonder whether some of the other managers in the Premier League who could easily do a job at Tottenham Hotspur would stand for that sort of thing. You know, would Marcelo Bielsa at Leeds stand for someone above his head pulling the strings, telling him what to do? I don't think he would. I think there's a lot of managers who wouldn't. As much as I'm enjoying criticising Tottenham Hotspurs, I also want to get on and talk about Dynamo Zagreb versus West Ham. As I said, West Ham's first victory in European competition for 22 years. Before we do that, Nuno was criticising his luck at the end of the game last night. Lucas Moura and Stevie Bergwijn both going off injured in that game. We don't know the full extent of those injuries yet. And Spurs are in trouble now, aren't they, Niall, in terms of personnel? We've seen them lose defensive um, reinforcements. I think they've got one fit centre-back or something like that in that first team at the moment, ahead of the weekend when, as you say, they're playing Chelsea. Now... With Bergvine and Mora missing, they're kind of lacking up front as well. They're lacking everywhere. I think they've got nine injuries or injury doubts, which is the most of any team in the Premier League. You know, Tanganga is suspended after his sending off against Palace. Romero and Lo Celso are obviously involved in these quarantine regulation things due to that Argentina v Brazil thing. Cessignon, we've not really seen much of him. Sanchez is rated 50-50. Heung-Min Son is on the sidelines at the moment. Eric Dyer was withdrawn against Crystal Palace as well. And now, as you say, uh, Lucas Moura and Stevie Bergvine yesterday. So it's just such a, a difficult period for Nuno Espirito Santo. And, you know, we talk about him and the style of play. Maybe he will have to be pragmatic with around nine players possibly unavailable for him for the weekend. And they've got Chelsea. So it is going to be so tough for Tottenham. And actually, this is a test of an elite club and an elite squad. If this happens to an elite squad, they should be able to deal with it. Are Tottenham quite at that level? I'm not so sure. But particularly with Harry Kane not right amongst the goals at the moment. Um what they could lack in quality from players being missing. Can they make it up through the boot or the head of him? 
they'll be hoping that he can find some sort of form this weekend because they're going to need it against the Chelsea side who will take no prisoners, that's for sure. Just one shot on target for Harry Kane last night in that game, by the way. So, Dynamo Zagreb at nil, West Ham 2. The only English team to taste victory in European action last night. At the beginning of the game, Ian, we saw West Ham take the knee as become the familiar sight for any Premier League team in any game and that is going to continue. I thought it was interesting that Dynamo Zagreb didn't take the knee and obviously we know about the problems that teams in Croatia and other Eastern European areas face in terms of racism but did that make a bit of a mockery of the whole gesture in the first place when you've got one team doing it and one team not doing it or does that kind of highlight why it's important that English teams go abroad to these places and do make this gesture yeah I suppose it um it, it will get mentioned in these countries won't it that, that why England are doing that uh, it might get mocked <laughs> I don't know um how 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 it is but it certainly highlights the, the differences and in, in, in the countries that um, have got the problems, doesn't it? Because the countries that have got the problems, the countries where we see uh, crowds throwing stuff, chanting stuff, as, as even we've seen in that England game, you know, not so long ago, um, there, there is still huge problems, problems that we probably experienced in this country, even in the, like the 1980s, still going on. And nothing has changed in some nations. So it, it certainly highlights um, what the mindset is in those countries um and yeah it shows that there's a lot more work still to be done on the subject and the the message hasn't got through throughout the world uh, regardless of you know whatever international tournaments may may have taken place or international campaigns um that may be going on it shows that the message is not getting through because um i know people will say well it's a political thing and all that kind of stuff but it's not it's just stop being a racist um person uh and as simple as that uh and the fact that they're still you know that the fact that there's one team still standing up and ignoring it shows that why the other team need to do it because otherwise this conversation would just be swept under the carpet completely and it would just nothing would ever change i'm always very conscious of presenting ourselves as whiter than white in that scenario particularly when we talk about the racism issues in eastern europe it is worth pointing out as well certainly the west ham fans covered themselves in no glory last night because there were several arrests from uh, fan due to fan behavior before the match so certainly it's not in terms of in terms of racism maybe the premier league is more enlightened in terms of other areas maybe less so but that is a small blot on what was a very successful night for West Ham in Europe, Nile. A fairly changed team for West Ham, but also a pretty strong lineup. It looked like David Moyes is taking this competition very seriously. Yeah, and why wouldn't he? I think I said on yesterday's show, is it not just all about enjoying these moments? Like you say, Jim, a first win in Europe for 22 years for West Ham. You know, you wouldn't have predicted at the start of the season as a Hammers fan yourself that you would be talking about West Ham in European competition. But here we are, and they're winning games in Europe as well against the Dinamo Zagreb side, who last season knocked Tottenham out of the Europa League. And Croatian football is in a pretty good spot at the moment as well. So it was a great win for West Ham, and their two stars got the goals as well. Mikhail Antonio, who's of course suspended in the Premier League, but can play in Europe. And Declan Rice, both players scoring goals. Two players who have been so key to what West Ham have done in recent times. So great to see those guys on the score sheet. Dinamo Zagreb did come back at West Ham a little bit as well. For the last maybe 15, 20 minutes, it got a little bit closer. 
but definitely they did enough to see it out, as you can tell by the scoreline. Kept a clean sheet away from home in Europe. Excellent result for West Ham. And why wouldn't he take it seriously? With the way West Ham are playing and the way West Ham are competing with Premier League sides who, let's face it, would have blown them off the park 18 months ago, they're surely going to feel confident coming up against teams in which they have got the quality to be. And we saw them display that quality last night against Dinamo Zagreb. Obviously, it's going to be a, a difficult test in the next two group games. These group games always are. And I'm sure Dinamo will be very keen to put on a performance when they come back to the London Stadium. West Ham need to try and enjoy this as supporters, as players. I think they've got uh, Rapid Vienna and Genk in their group as well. And fairly kind group, I think. It is a fairly kind group. And actually, I think West Ham, with the way they're playing at the moment, will be disappointed if they don't get through. Um, I mean, it'll be them and Dinamo Zagreb for me who will be the, the two sides who go through one and two. But Genk have got three points on the board as well. And I just think West Ham got off to a great start, comfortable start. And why can't they dream about being successful? Um, let's face it, they're not going to break into the top four this season. They're just not. Much like Everton have made a great start. West Ham have made a good start as well, but they're not going to finish in the top four because that means one of Chelsea, Man City, Man United or Liverpool are going to drop out. And I can't see that happening. Let's throw into the mix Leicester and Tottenham as well. And it's going to be even more difficult. So why not target Europe? Why not go for it? This is what football's all about. Making those dreams, making those memories come to life. And uh, West Ham have made an excellent start. And with some of the teams in the competition... West Ham can beat them. Leicester are tipped to do well. We'll talk about them in a second. They faced Napoli last night. Another team from Italy are tipped to do well. Marseille are in the in the in the tournament as well. So are Lyon. These are all teams that maybe 18 months ago West Ham would have been thrashed by. This season, they're certainly able to compete. And why wouldn't they dream of being successful? Because these players, like Antonio, like Declan Rice, they wouldn't have thought they would be playing European football one or two years ago. Now they are and they need to learn to enjoy it and they've done exactly that. They both scored last night and it was a great performance and a good win for West Ham. Those dreams, Niall, they they fade and die. That's the problem. Always fade and die. They pop like bubbles. (laughs) Niall mentioned that Zagreb came back into it in the last 15 minutes or so, Ian, and I'll be honest with you, I think they offered very little in the first half an hour. I don't think they really got into the West Ham side, but it was important for West Ham to kind of keep it tight in those last 15 as Zagreb pushed for a goal or maybe even two goals to get the point. And I was really impressed by the debut of Kurt Zuma as well, who's coming to this West Ham team in the transfer window, came in from Chelsea, Champions League winner with Chelsea, looked very strong, looked very assured at the back. Is that just what West Ham need? A little bit of experience in their ranks. Yeah, I think it's not going to do any harm. And we, we, I think we spoke about Kurt Zuma and um, what a, a good addition he would probably be to, to West Ham when when it was kind of rumoured that, that this transfer from, from Chelsea might be happening, I think, at the, the back end of last year or, or whenever. And um, the thing with, with teams like Chelsea is they have an embarrassment of riches, don't they? And they bring new players in. Obviously, they brought Lukaku in now. And, you know, you, you get these otherwise very good players who just have their noses pushed out of joint by by a worldie who comes in and, and, and that kind of stuff. And that happens throughout Chelsea. We've seen it happen loads of times that Chelsea have, have let 
perfectly um, brilliant players go um, through through the course of their history, and, and I think Kurt Zuma could be could be another one and a, a great signing for West Ham, as you say, brings that experience. Um, and I think too, as well, now that um, David Moyes has made it through that kind of tricky initial phase that he's gone through at a couple of clubs where he doesn't really have that time to to settle down and, and get things how he wants them. I think he's he's got his feet under the table now at West Ham, and and we've seen that when he when he gets settled in, like he did at um, Preston North End way back when and uh, and Everton for example you know when he has the time to to build what he's doing they're a very very solid unit his teams when he's when he's got the time to get them all together and and, and with that experience now um, I think he's I think he's getting there with West Ham I think they are a solid unit um, I think that that they, they look to me to be a side that are going to be very very hard to break down in whatever competition they're in uh, I'm not sure they're going to be quite there at going for a title bid yet but I certainly see them hanging around this sort of top six kind of region um, for for a while as long as they keep going as they're going so yeah I think it's a great addition positive addition um, better than than probably what they've they've had and, and certainly got more experience so yeah it's, it's it's good for West Ham at the minute some good football being played as well David Moyes has his reputation as you say as making his teams very tough to beat very hard to break down and that is certainly the case but last night some brilliant very pretty interplay for West Ham as well between the particularly kind of the Ford three or four players. It was a very impressive performance for them. So they won 2-0, got their European qualifications off to a flying start. The final game we're going to cover from the Europa League is Leicester-Napoli. That finished 2-2 and we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Finishing today's podcast with Leicester versus Napoli. It finished 2-2 in Leicester. Brendan Rodgers blaming the naivety of youth for giving away a two-goal lead. And for me, Niall, and you were at this game, I think, but the truth was that the two-goal lead kind of flattered Leicester in the first place because Napoli looked dangerous throughout that game. They did, yeah. They had 15 shots in the first half, most of them over the bar, most of them wide, couldn't really test Kasper Schmeichel. And they'll be disappointed with that because they did get into dangerous areas and try to really take the game to Leicester. They moved the ball from back to front very, very quickly. Insigne, who, of course, is kind of the icon of Napoli, They didn't think he was going to start before the game. He did end up starting. He limped off in their Serie A game against Juventus at the weekend with a bit of strapping on his knee. So they were just like, oh, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to start him. He did travel in the end and he did start. And he caused a few problems early on. Also, a couple of the fullbacks, uh, Malqui and Di Lorenzo, were putting balls into the box. And it kind of came as a surprise that they weren't able to be a little bit more ruthless in front of goal because they did manage to forge enough opportunities. But... It just wasn't quite happening for them. And then Leicester City score a beautiful goal up the other end with Harvey Barnes, who plays a 1-2 with Dakar over the top of the penalty area. And there's Iotse Perez, who celebrated by putting his fingers in his ears. And he said to me after the game that that's a celebration he used to do when he was at Newcastle. But I think he's had a fair bit of stick in recent times. He didn't mention this in the interview from a section of the supporters and from some people as well on social media suggesting he doesn't offer anything and he's probably not good enough to be in Leicester starting 11. Well, he scored a really good goal and I think that that was a bit of a message, that celebration. And then um, it went into the break 1-0 to Leicester and, you know, Leicester looked the better 
side in the first half an hour of the second half before it all unraveled and um, Napoli came back into it. And you have to say on the balance of play, a 2-2 draw was probably a fair result. But Leicester would be disappointed that they managed to ride out the storm, get themselves into a two-goal lead, but they let it slip. Kasper Schmeichel made some great saves in that game, Ian, particularly in the last half an hour as Napoli kind of came back into it a bit more and started to get their shooting boots on. Is he amongst the Premier League elite when it comes to goalkeepers? He rarely gets mentioned in the same conversation when we're talking about Alisson or Edison or the real kind of top-level goalkeepers. Is he up there? Yeah, he is. Uh, And he's certainly in my fantasy Premier League team uh, because uh, he was affordable (laughs) and quite good. Um, He's certainly... There's a badge of honour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he is... He's consistent, I think, and that that is a, um, a you know very important thing for a goalkeeper because it's all right pulling off some worldies one week, but then being like no use whatsoever the the week after. He's consistent, and I think that's that's the you know his his big strength and and what does make him among the elite because you know what you're going to get week in week out, and and surely I think if you're a, if you're a Leicester City fan, you must feel fairly confident um, when you've got him in in goal. Um, I mean, he, of course, he, he started his career at Leeds uh, way back uh, a long time ago, and 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 was a fantastic um, player even then. And he was a you know sort of reasonably young lad, I suppose, and then went off to uh, to do other things. But um, and even then, he was he was always reliable. Um, I can't say the rest the same for the rest of the team at the time, but um, you know he did <laughs> he did his bit, um, and yeah, un- I don't think he's underrated because I think the people that know about him do rate him. Um, but I think that he's because he's not in a so-called one of the elite teams, even though Leicester are former champions and, and are always there or thereabouts. Um, yeah, if we will probably be shouting more about him if he was in the Man City team or the Chelsea team or something like that. That's true. But yeah, he's he's as good as the rest of them. And and yeah, he's he's, he's a, a. I don't I don't know without going and nicking a a, a player straight from from Chelsea or or, or Liverpool like Allison or, or or Edison as as we mentioned as well. Um, I don't know many better goalkeepers at the moment mm. for to do that job. You know, he, yeah, he's good. I think he's great, and although he's probably not quite of the quality of an Edison, an Allison, or even a David de Gea at times, he's certainly a very good keeper. And what he doesn't have in that very small percentile of quality, he makes up for in his communication skills, his leadership in the dressing True room. True leader, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, his, his, his kind of presence in the dressing room cannot be underestimated at Leicester City. The way he talks, you know, he's, he's club captain now. Obviously, um, Wes Morgan left Leicester City last season after several years at the club and now Kasper Schmeichel has taken on the armband and he skippered the side last night and he said before the game that it's the biggest honour that anyone can bestow on one player is to be club captain and uh, I think he's really relishing the challenge and you know he, he, he's he got he's of a mindset and he's of good stock isn't he his old man knew a thing or two about keeping goals so um, definitely the small bit of quality that perhaps he doesn't have in terms of comparisons with the likes of Edison and David De Gea and Alisson etc which by the way is very very small he makes up for more than makes up for in his leadership skills his communication and his qualities off of the pitch he's a real character a real leader in the dressing room and I just dread to think how Leicester would be without him because I think he's more important to that team than people realise well people often said the same thing about Jamie Vardy as well where would Leicester be without Jamie Vardy but he didn't start last (laughs) night we saw a different front three Daka Ineacho and Harvey Barnes and then we had 
Perez, who you've already mentioned, was playing in a kind of deeper role, but he was making some great attacking runs forward as well and kind of running in from deep. I think it shows how clever Leicester have been in terms of their recruitment. They know how old Jamie Vardy is now. They know that at some point he will be leaving that Leicester team. He won't be able to play as many games and they've recruited really well to replace him. But actually, it's Harvey Barnes that was really impressive for me, Niall. He had another Mm. great performance, looked really bright. He's only got the one England cap so far. But how far do you think he's off being a regular in that England starting eleven, or certainly the England squad. I don't think he's far off, Jim. And as you say, the injury he picked up last season came at the worst possible time for him. He got injured in February. It ruled him out for the rest of the season. I think he was on the cusp of being included in the England squad. And I think that Gareth Southgate would have seen him with 13 goals for the season up till that point in February and thought, right, this guy can do a job for me. Um, Out on that left flank, he was brilliant again, involved in both goals, scored the second. Great performance from him from the start and definitely think he could be involved in the England squad in the in the near future. I think that, like, like I was saying, the injury came at the worst possible time for him last season. I think he was on the cusp of being involved in the England squad, or at least if I was Gareth Southgate, I certainly would have been thinking about including him with the form he was showing. But he's, you know, been set out on the sidelines and... No, I asked him yesterday, I said, the fact that you were out for so long and you missed out possibly on those opportunities, does that make you more hungry? And he kind of just took a little a moment, just paused and, and thought, actually, yeah, it probably does. But I'm just just trying to enjoy it and get back into it. And um, he's done brilliantly. He's He's been really good so far this season. That was his first goal last night. And like you say, he was certainly impressive. And those players that have been brought in to replace Jamie Vardy, Patson Dacker got his first start for Leicester. 27 goals in 28 games in Austrian Bundesliga last season for Salzburg. Brilliant goal record. Scored last night. It was disallowed due to VAR. He couldn't stop smiling after the game, despite the fact that the goal was disallowed. He's just the nicest person ever, Patson Dacker. Um, but like you say, Jamie Vardy only got a few minutes off the bench last night. And if Patson Dacker can perform to the level he did against Napoli, I think he'll be all right for Leicester in the years to come. But it's not just about replacing Vardy's goals, because that's going to be tough to do with one replacement like you say if players like Harvey Barnes and Perez can all chip in with goals here and there I think that will stand Leicester in good stead in the long run some really impressive football from Leicester City last night some very pretty patterns on the pitch I thought and an impressive young teams a bright future for Brendan Rodgers and Leicester City and I don't think they'll be too disappointed with a draw in this game against Napoli who are very strong opposition that is it for Football Social Daily today Noel before we wrap up any reply from Nighty? Didn't get anything from Alan, unfortunately. I think he's avoiding me. I think he knows what what, what I need him for. So uh, if I hear back from him, I'll let you know. But it looks like uh, that mystery is going to remain unsolved for now. Well, if we get a response, well, you get like... a proper exclusive. <laughs> be a pro- proper exclusive if you get it, because uh, that'd be a reply that uh, that Marcelo Bielsa didn't get. So, right. uh... if we get a response, I expect uh, full screen grabs posted on the Twitter account later at the Sports Social. You can keep an eye out for them. Ian, Niall, nice one, boys. Have a good weekend, and don't forget you can catch Niall tonight on the Dugout Show with Paul Dickoff and Sean St. Ledger. That will be out later on this evening. Have a great weekend, and that is it for today's Football Social Daily. <laughs> Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.